Will you pray with me? Father, today is your event for the world. And may we have ears to hear what you would say to us and eyes to see what you would reveal to us. Give us the courage to be obedient in response. We thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. This setting has become sentimentalized in popular Christian imagination, almost as if the shepherds were leisurely out stargazing, laying down the blankets to sit on, setting the pot of hot chocolate on the ground next to them, divvying out blankets to those who were cold, half expecting the angelic chorus to show up, but unsure of when they would. And to imagine it as such misses the mark significantly of what the actual setting was. In a word... Luke succinctly gives a description of sort of the existential setting of Israel there. The shepherds were keeping over their flock by night. For the shepherds specifically, there was not much hope. Their occupation was a despised one. They were stereotyped almost as squatters, grazing their sheep on other people's lands. Their small land ownership and revenue made was grossly inadequate to the taxation and the burden of family that they would have had on them. They were peasants, one notch above the ritually unclean, but essentially forgotten about as a class. So there was no romantic notion of the day about keeping watch over your flock by night. And it wasn't much better when you zoomed out from the shepherds to sort of Israel at large. Yes, they were and had for many years been allowed back in Jerusalem. The temple had been rebuilt. But still, as a people, they felt very much still in exile. The Shekinah glory had not returned to the temple. The temple and its leadership was compromised with Herod in charge. And most obvious to everyone, a foreign oppressor, now Rome instead of Babylon, was in charge. And Rome's dominion was never more in view than in the same, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 1, when it says, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Rome's territory was synonymous with the world. And they reminded everyone of that through military conquest, through brutal torture like crucifixion, and as was happening at this point, having everyone be registered. The emperor Augustus was worshipped as divine, so it was pure pagan idolatry ruling the world. And to make matters worse, it was Israel's sin 
their failure to be faithful to the covenant and to the vocation God had set for them, to be a light and blessing to the world, that's what led them to where they were. This was the setting for Christmas. Shame, guilt, grief, uncertainty about the future. There was, of course, the prophetic hope spoken of for generations that one day God would come to redeem his people, but nothing seemed to be on the horizon. Zechariah himself, one chapter earlier in chapter 1, when he's finally able to speak again at his son John's birth, he describes God's people as, quote, those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. So the words that characterized the present for Christmas was darkness, night. I wonder how much different today is. The mantra this time of year, certainly this day, be joyful. And we all recognize that there is much in which we could rejoice. But who all has wept this year? What if all is not well? And what if that's okay? What if that is precisely an enormous part of the Christmas message? Because I suspect that behind the facade and show windows of smiles and Merry Christmases, there are plenty of us who can relate well to the shepherds, to Israel at large. Plenty of us who know shame and guilt, who know what our early Christian brothers and sisters called the dark night of the soul, who have anxiety and uncertainty about the future, who have a general sense of hope, but nothing seems to be on the horizon, who, similar to the man when Jesus asked him, do you believe that I can heal you? In the King James Version, he says, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. What if when we're honest with ourselves, when we're away from the theatrics of our public relations, when we're all alone with just us and our thoughts, what if much of our current situation could be described as darkness or night? Then what a day this is. Will you stand with me and read Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20? Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So the contrast could not be starker. In this case, literally. The literal and sort of existential night on the one hand, and then on the other, the glory of the Lord enveloping the surroundings in his light. And make no mistake about it, this isn't just some random heavenly appearance, though that would be enough in and of itself. No, this is nothing less than the divine presence reserved for the holies of holy in the temple. So if you remember, in 2 Chronicles 5, Solomon finishes the temple. The Ark of the Covenant is brought into the inner sanctuary. And then in verse 14, it says, The priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. That's the same glory Here, the same glory that dwelled in the place where the high priest, not the people, not even the priests, the high priest could only enter one day a year or he would die. So that holy of holies, the divine glorious presence of God, the intersection of heaven and earth, the very presence which Israel had hoped would one day return to fill the temple is now for the shepherds right in front of their eyes. So it's no wonder then in verse 9 it says they were filled with fear. That was probably the appropriate response. But the angel says in verse 10, fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy That will be for all the people. Don't let the visual and the symbolism here be lost on you. This glorious presence of God, this good news of great joy, has appeared not in the church building, not at a revival. Not at a small group gathering of the most religious people in town, but on a farm where they least expected it, to the shepherds to whom it was least expected, and at night with a backdrop of darkness when it was least 
expected. God brought his light to darkness. Not to where it's already pretty much lit. Ooh, they seem happy. Let's go there. No, to where it was most difficult to see. With textual echoes of his original creative act, God looked upon the chaos of sin, idolatry, and hopelessness, a chaos of darkness, an existence characterized by darkness, and in an act of new creation said, Let there be light. In a feeding trial, where they least expected it, to a resolute but scared couple to whom it was least expected, with the looming possibility of public shame for Mary and Joseph, their own anxiety about the future, unknown to essentially the rest of Israel, when it was least expected. Far, far from the pageantry of any royal birth, all under the cover of night, God said, let there be light. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Leslie Leyland Fields She's an author and contributor to Christianity Today. She has a poem called Let the Stable Still Astonish. This is what she says. Straw dirt floor, dull eyes, dusty flanks of donkeys, oxen, crumbling crooked stone walls, no bed to carry that pain. And then the child... Rag-wrapped, laid to cry in a trowel. Who would have chosen this? Who would have said, yes, let the God of all the heavens and earth be born here in this place? Who but the same God who stands in the darker, fouler rooms of our hearts and says, yes, Let the God of all the heavens and earth be born here, in this place. You see, that's the move the text makes on us. Will you let this Christmas be a reminder that God, your Father, has good news of great joy? for the very areas of your life that are the darkest. And that good news of great joy, it's not a self-help manual. It's not some abstract set of beliefs. It is our loving, forgiving, saving, redeeming, reconciling, never leaving nor forsaking Savior who is Christ the Lord Jesus. In those cold, dark rooms where you store your shame, guilt, worry, gloom, 
Will you let God look in there and say, let there be light? Perhaps your life feels that way. And I'm not talking about a certain part of your life. Yeah, I got this life. No, no. maybe your entire life feels that way. And I'm not talking about what everyone else thinks your life is, what your spouse thinks your life is, what your kids think your life is, what your parents think your life is, what your friends think your life is. I'm talking about what you know your life is. Because without Jesus Christ, life is darkness. There is no hope. There is no joy. There is no good news. It is only cheap, counterfeit imitations of the real thing, all of which are empty promises. Purpose, joy, hope, love, they are in the saving life and work of Jesus Christ and Him alone. And if you have never committed your life to Him, don't let another day go by. What a day this would be to give your life to Him so that you can find it, that you can know what life with a capital L truly is. Take that darkness and let the glory of the Lord our Savior, Jesus, and His sanctifying Spirit wash it in His redeeming light. Now, will this make any and all problems go away? Be it the first time we commit to this or hear it as a healthy reminder? Of course not. It says about the shepherds, though it's true for all parties involved in verse 20, that they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, did all their problems magically go away? Of course not. They went back to being shepherds. But do you think they were ever the same shepherd that they were before? Of course not. Because they knew what Mary knew. What Joseph knew, what Zechariah knew, what Elizabeth knew, what John knew, what Jesus himself would announce in his work, what Paul would carry to the Gentiles, and what all who with open hearts and ears to hear would receive across the world, all to this very day, that in that manger, God's cosmic redemption project had begun. And the invitation to participate with and in it by the power of his spirit was open to all. God's light had begun to shine through the very fabric of the universe in the person and work of Jesus Christ, revealing a a kingdom much different than any other kingdom and revealing a king much different than any other king. And God's commitment to redemption, bringing his light to darkness, as Paul says in Colossians, delivering us from the domain of darkness and transferring us to the kingdom of his beloved son, that did not end in the manger. It was in Jesus' teaching. It was in his healing. And it was most epitomized, of course, in his death and resurrection. 
James Stewart, a Scottish pastor in the 20th century and one of the finest preachers I've ever read, he says of this, he says, but see once again the miracle. The miracle of God veritably present where it seemed no God could possibly be. God present there, redeemingly as nowhere else in all the world. For the accursed gallows became the altar of salvation. The act of man's consummate devilry, the vehicle of omnipotent love. And his victory over sin, death, and evil, the ultimate darkness, extinguishing it of its power, all set into motion at his birth, looked to the coming day when God will see it all through, when all shall be well, when his light and glory will flood the universe redeeming and restoring all in sight. When God's kingdom comes, when his will is done on earth as it is in heaven, when, as John says in Revelation, of the unity of the new heaven and new earth coming together in the city of God, in imagery rich and mysterious and profound, he says there will be no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Merry Christmas.